You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravi, Spontaneous Past Life Memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business And yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places. And what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others. And it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I am completely overjoyed to have our guests today, Dr. Amit Gatswami and Dr. Valentina Onisor. They have a new book out called The Quantum Brain. It is absolutely incredible. Um, we know Dr. Gatswami from the beloved film, What the Bleep Do We Know? And Dr. Anasur is a pioneer in consciousness and their book is fantastic. And so welcome to Healing Arts. It's a joy to have you here. Thank you all. Wonderful to be here. So you are joining me today from India. I love India. I've had the blessing um, to be able to go there a couple of different times. So where are you exactly in India at this point? We are both in Kolkata. Oh, in Calcutta. Oh my gosh. I have not been there. I was in Delhi and in the Northern region and then in um, 
Bangalore. So it's a beautiful country. Yeah. So I am very excited about your book. Um, there's a lot to unpack here, which is great. It was really um, very mind boggling for me. So speak to, in the beginning of the book, um, you both discuss the goal that you had overall, the things that you've written in the past and, and why this is so important. So I was wondering if each of you can just um, discuss that and how this book came to be. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, I have been talking about science within the primacy of consciousness for a long time. Um, quantum physics establishes this beyond any reasonable doubt. So it is natural to ask, um, how does consciousness land into the brain? And of course, that was a question that I dealt with back in 1973 uh, in my first book. Um, the answer is tangled hierarchy, a relationship between brain's uh, perception apparatus and the memory apparatus. So that's uh, aroused my interest in the brain. Can we make further progress? Then I made a little bit of progress working with neurophysiologist uh, Huckabo Greenberg. He was the discoverer of transfer potential, very important work. Um, but we never published that. So recently, uh, some people published uh, that paper and that rekindled my interest in the brain. And right at that time, Valentina came into collaboration uh, with me. So it was a perfect combination uh, from the beginning. Valentina's interest uh, was also in the same boat, integrating science and spirituality and uh, she is a doctor, so brain naturally is one of her curiosities because brain is so important and, you know, everybody thinks of what causes Alzheimer, how to save people from Alzheimer. So, and then, of course, she also had interest in ADHD. I had interest in autism. So, uh, or of course, the pleasure addiction, we both wanted to talk about that. Uh, we have uh, serious serious, serious misgivings about what addiction does to people. So if we could say something. So all this kind of, you know, when we started the research that was four years ago, uh, this was just beginning. But all this uh, so nicely fit into uh, the schema of quantum science. I am just amazed by it. And certainly, you know, collaboration uh, between us works. So Valentina, you took over. Yeah, of course, for me, both as a woman, you know, as a human being, as well as a doctor, you know, seeing what's happening in the world with all this wasted potential was always a question, really, because we are like truly sitting on a mine of diamonds at all the levels, you know? So we speak about the quantum brain and what is that in the book? and about these new potentialities which truly exist in every single human being. You know? mm -hmm. And um, the thing is that you see nowadays, what Amit mentioned about um, Alzheimer, the Alzheimer, the, the age, you know, is not anymore as it used to be, like over 65, 70, now it's even 40, you know? So it's very, very important to check on why is that, you know? And first of all, also like make the connection with um, losing that uh, way of living with meaning and purpose, which is happening more and more in these times, right? So there is so much to understand of why, and then truly 
start rewiring this brain, you know, because it is totally possible. And until we understand what is with the base level human condition and see where we are, honestly, that's not possible to start with. But when we see and we understand why, we have a place to start from. And there are methods for sure. But then the idea is to truly find that way to live with meaning, you know? Absolutely. So let's, let, let me ask this. So in your book, you, you discuss consciousness. So if each of you could discuss now, tell the viewers what is consciousness in your framework as we move forward in the book and in your research. Consciousness is a very, very good question. And we have to uh, come to how people experience it first before we um, actually give a definition. Because the definition was given, believe it or not, 7,000 years ago in India. That definition still stands. But it will, if we start with that, it will sound very obscure. Uh, how people experience it is much easier to explain because, yeah, this is people's everyday experience. And this is the problem. How people experience it today um, has really deteriorated to um, people experience it almost to the extent that they don't experience it. Almost to the extent. I mean, I don't think anybody will object that do you consider yourself a conscious being or do you consider yourself a machine? I think most people will reject the I am not a robot kind of thing. Right. Um, uh, will probably will agree that yes, I'm not a robot. But beyond that, why are you not a robot? If you ask that, uh, they wouldn't have much to say because they would agree that yes, most of their actions are conditioned actions like a robot. They would agree that um, in some ways they're worse than robot because they have negativity where nobody has seen robots displaying any negative emotions. Robots don't have any emotions. And of course, um, uh, robots don't get addicted to pleasure. Robots are information processors. So that's, of course, uh, something that is very robotic that we have picked up in the last uh, 30 or 40 years after the computer revolution. So uh, this is the problem. And people in general, we uh, all can agree that the normal state of consciousness that people live is extremely constricted. From that constriction, if materialists claim that consciousness is nothing but the brain, it seems quite plausible. And this is, let me tell you this. You know, I still teach, Valentina teaches, we have our own university where we teach, and we are talking about students who are interested already into consciousness, into consciousness science, but even they get confused if we ask directly, do you think consciousness is a product of the brain? They cannot immediately answer it. So um, it is that deep. The materialist prejudice has really got us that deep. So uh, how did the ancient people define it? I mean, it's amazing. Something that was discovered 7,000 years ago and then rediscovered over and over again. In China, 3,000 years ago. In Greece, 2,500 years ago in the Middle East 2000 years ago. And, uh, you know, Native American tradition knew about it, uh, the shamanic tradition in South America knew about it. 
So how could we fail? How, how did this happen? It's very good, a good question. How did the Indians define it? And repeatedly discovered it again and again. They defined it as three Sanskrit words, Sat, Chit, Ananda. Sat is the existence. Consciousness is basic ground of existence, ground of being. Why? Because without conscious experience, obviously, uh, we wouldn't know anything about anything. There will be nothing to know. And consciousness, uh, etymologically, is the vehicle with which we know. So uh, existence has to be conscious. They realize that, ground of being. And then next is chit, which means awareness. They immediately saw that, yes, the way we know that we are conscious is through our awareness. We see objects as an experience subject. The subject-object plurality, that is what is called awareness. And then, this is so beautiful. The last one is ananda, which means happiness. And it comes from a Sanskrit word, which means no boundary. So it is saying that if we start from the constricted consciousness that we have, namely ego, and then through meditation and uh, relationships uh, to each other and to the world, if we progress expanding our consciousness, then we end up happier and happier. Ananda, happiness, expansion of consciousness goes on increasing. And this then is the goal of life. For conscious people, goal of life is happiness. Now, of course, when we do quantum science, uh, you know, we add a few more things. Uh, so Valentino, why don't you talk about why, what we add? Yeah, so to start from there, because you, you kept mentioning the word Ananda. So the journey described is a journey of increasing intelligence and also at the same time, health and happiness, you know? And uh, why? So this quantum self, you know, or what is ultimately referring to this closer to what is called consciousness and expansion of consciousness is the doorway. So the quantum self, you know, is the doorway to an expanded consciousness, which has this infinite new potentiality, okay? And um, developing this discrimination to choose this happiness of expansion rather than uh, the happiness of um, pleasure, for example, you know, the lower pleasure, when which often contracts the consciousness is what awakening of intelligence is about, you know? And of course, uh, no matter how intelligent you may think that you are, so it takes much more than the bossy brain to choose for this ananda rather than that common pleasure, you know, which is just coming and going, right? So for yeah. uh, the same, like choosing this real intelligence rather than just machine intelligence. Okay, so there are again levels, of increasing levels of intelligence and then increasing levels of happiness also. You have a, a discussion in there that both of you kind of just touched on the the question that I think people are asking or that consciousness is asking us is whether or not um, kind of like the chicken or the egg right are we is the brain creating the consciousness or are we the soul who's coming in and the brain is a vehicle through which consciousness is expressed so that was um, a very interesting discussion and I was wondering if you could both speak to that as well yeah, brain is a vehicle, uh, consciousness expresses itself, and how consciousness identifies with the brain 
that mystery is uh, the mystery of tangled hierarchy. It's a logical tangle. You, we cannot say um, how without uh, showing you a paradox. And that paradox is the paradox of a circular paradox. Uh, uh, it is sometimes called paradox of self-preference, sometimes called paradox of grammar. I am a liar. Examine that. If I am a liar, then I'm telling the truth, right? <laughs> if I'm a liar, then that is the truth, and I'm telling the truth, but that's a contradiction. But if I'm telling the truth, then I am a liar. Contradiction again. So we go back and back and forth and back and forth. We cannot get out of the sentence. So this is what happens to the uh, consciousness which tries to see the world through the brain because brain has similarly two apparatuses, perception and memory. Now we, we know that without perception, there is nothing to make a memory of. So memory cannot exist without perception, but physics works in such a way that without memory, there is no perception because without memory, nothing can be said to be happening because everything is two way. We can perceive, but we also can unperceive because there is nothing that gives us an arrow of time. That to get that arrow of time, we need memory so that we cannot go backwards in time. We have to go only forward because we have a memory of what is back. So once you have made memory, we cannot go backward in time. So this little mystery, which has been a mystery since the days of Newton, in physics comes to our aid in solving the problem of how consciousness can identify with the brain. And that's it, brain has nothing to do with creating consciousness. Consciousness has everything to do with creating the brain as it identifies itself with it. And that happens to what we call quantum measurement. This is what I proved in back in 1993. And uh, Hakobo Greenberg experiment uh, verified that yes, two people, um, if they correlate, indeed they become connected in their consciousness. This is one of the predictions of the theory. There was another prediction that Valentin already mentioned that we exist in two self modality. One is the spontaneous self, the present centered experience called quantum self and the other is this constricted ego that we experience. Neuroscientists have now discovered that indeed, brain also represents consciousness is two, in two different modalities. In one modality, it's a local modality. Consciousness is located in a little place in prefrontal cortex. And in the other modality, consciousness is all over the brain apparatuses in different parts of the brain, they all act in synchrony to manifest that quantum self. So the two major um, uh, predictions of the theory being verified, that standard science, when that happens, we accept the theory. So for all, all scientific purpose, this is a theory that is uh, established by experimental data. We now have a theory of the brain, theory of consciousness based on experimental data.
Okay, so to add to that, uh, the brain, even if it's the most our most advanced organ, still does not have the capacity to make direct representations of the archetypes that we intuit. You know, so mm -hmm. it's something to ponder. And we first make representations of the intuition experience of this archetype. I will talk about that also with thinking or feeling or both and simultaneously follow up with representing them in our brain and body via living this archetypal experience, you know, which ultimately should be our way of living actually, you know, live if okay. you want to, yeah, okay. So if we want to go towards this kind of supramental experiences from where we are getting um, a very beautiful integrated way of living, both thinking and feeling, both heart and mind, you know, integrating a superior experience, you know, that's uh, where the archetypes reside, you know, archetypes being the highest uh, thinking and feeling that we can, um, you know, we can even call them divine attributes, for example, you know, like love, uh, goodness, and so on. Absolutely. So you also, I wanted to ask about um, non-locality and how that plays into oneness and consciousness. You could address okay. that. The idea of non-locality was introduced in quantum physics, first by no other than Einstein, uh, a graduate student of him, uh, Boris Podolsky, and a postdoctoral, Nathan Rosen. So these three people did the evolutionary work, did not themselves realize the importance of it, because they sort of, Einstein influenced the uh, others. Uh, Einstein did not like quantum physics, you know, God does not play dice was his objection. Quantum physics talks about probability and possibility, and Einstein didn't like it. He liked a deterministic world. God determines everything, you know, that religious doctrine. So uh, because Einstein didn't like it, he didn't approve his own work, um, and he passed away in 1955. Uh, the work was done in 1935. So this was an unsettled issue for a long time. And many people formed a lot of misconception in the meantime, you know, I often wonder what would have happened if the experimental verification came during Einstein's lifetime. And he would have seen that, yes, his work is the correct way of looking at it and immediately a, a new version of spirituality and science would have developed because with Einstein's approval, you know, anything would be much faster. Today, there is huge debate Materialists don't want to give an inch, but let's see what happens. What is then, uh, what did Einstein prove? What he showed is that if two objects come close, we know that when objects come close, their interaction increases. So objects coming close, they interact strongly, and that correlates them, he said. What does it mean correlates them? He said that now with this correlation, even if the objects move out from each other very fast and go very far from each other, even then the correlation will enable them to communicate faster than the speed of light. Now, nothing can move faster than the speed of light and space and time. So Einstein thought since there is only space and time, therefore he had quantum physics defeated because quantum physics obviously is wrong. It's predicting something wrong. But however, other physicists thought, ah, if this is true, then there must be another domain of reality. 
that mystics talk about. So they continued working and uh, this other domain of reality in which uh, objects can indeed communicate faster than the speed of light because they don't exchange any signals. It is signal velocity which has a finite value. If you don't, if you communicate without signal, then there is no uh, time elapsed necessary between uh, two people's communication. And therefore, what does that mean though? If I communicate instantly with you, what does it mean? This is where people were unable to think a little more courageously, but fortunately, you know, not all of us are so afraid. And I was not so afraid. So I said, okay, that means oneness because we can only communicate with ourselves instantly. We cannot communicate with anybody else instantly. So it means that the two objects have become one. And if that this non-local domain of potentiality that quantum physics introduces in which signal-less interaction is possible, then uh, this is also a domain of potential oneness. So the mystic said oneness period, we have added something new, which is oneness is potential. We have to activate it, we have to actualize it. And this is what Valentin was talking about, that we have these archetypes and God's um, attributes, and that's the way to, that's the way to bring the qualities of oneness down to earth. So perhaps tactically, you hear everybody saying we are one, you know, but we are not really one until we actualize it, you know. So what Amit was saying, you have to actualize and constantly this oneness. You can say we are one in a couple of relationship, right? You can say we are one, speaking about humanity, but again, we are not really one unless you bring it up, you actualize it, okay? And um, how you do that, I mean, for women, it's easier actually, you know, potentially speaking, uh, very interesting because we are open to more to these levels of intuitions, you know, what our problem is that we don't put them so much in practice, like a man, yeah. we don't have our right. So we got so many intuitions. Yeah. And again, if we would simply allow our hearts to open and um, towards other women, for example, or other people, which is we are here, like we are not by coincidence that we are women or men here, right? That's another story. But the thing is that we need to actualize this non-locality because, and it's easier to be done at the level of the heart, you know, and the heart then becomes truly a gate towards the supramental intelligence and also a gate towards healing, towards new contacts, new contexts of living, right? So access is non-locality, that's a, a must, you know, and that's why it's easier to work for healing in a group, for example, you know? That's why as a doctor, for example, you, have to inspire the patient and work with him in a non-local but also tangled hierarchical way, you know, so that you create that space for higher consciousness to manifest and to help that person to, to initiate that, to trigger that transformation which needs to be triggered there and initiate the supramental healing, for example. Absolutely, that's amazing. You also talk about um, the human, I guess, it's just our nature to be a little bit more negative in nature. And so I was wondering, you also suggest some ways that we can create more positive emotional um, brain connections and things like that. So if you would speak to why this is the case and how we can overcome that and become more positive, that would be wonderful too. 
Go ahead, Valentina, you were talking about yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 I can, of course. So uh, again, it's part of the base level human condition. You know, we have to just see what is there because funny thing for me also was, I didn't know that we really have embedded in our brain, this negative emotion brain circuits. And the idea is that it's our duty to create the positive ones. And the job may, I mean, has to be done. It's not that it can be done, it has to be done. And the work uh, can be five times more to really create those positive ones, you know? So, um, how to say, uh, just to give some anatomical things, first of all. So, these negative emotions which create all these problems in ourselves, all this chaos and interactions with the world, like anger, violence, competitiveness, domination, fear, jealousy, and so on. So in, usually we speak about them in the traditions between like evil opposed to the good, right? right. And, uh, but brain scientists uh, identified places in the brain's interior middle, which is also called the limbic brain, um, or the negative emotional brain circuits as the source of these negative emotions, you know? Which of course they create all this mental stress and even uh, diseases like cancer, heart disease, and so on, autoimmune disease. So they are there, okay? And mm -hmm. we also have this um, ego, like uh, the ego, right? Which is not that it has to be destroyed, but it may require a lot of work, which is keeping us in a state of constriction, as Amit mentioned in the beginning, right? So we have to be aware of that. And then we have also these negative emotional brain circuits, which, which are built into the brain. And part of them, they seem to be instinctual and it's unconscious triggering is followed by immediate survival related action and later thoughts of emotions, right? So also if you put the imagination also in the picture, then it's appearing this, what is called mentalization of a feeling. So, and we misuse this negative emotional brain circuits and damage ourselves, right? And then we also have these pleasure circuits, which are giving um, us dopamine, endorphine, and other molecular high when activated, which leads to addiction. And there's so many types of addiction nowadays, just to watch what's mm -hmm. happening with the technology. But again, there are opiate drugs that work on the brain like endorphine does, you know, and from one habit to another, drug-like addictions are hard to quit. And it's not so easy. You need to truly have the humbleness to ask for help in this kind of situations, you know? And um, when you make one step, the universe is truly making much more steps uh, towards you. So how to work with them? For example, I'm using in my practice also as a teacher, but also as a doctor, methods like forgiveness, which gave mm -hmm. so much results in so many areas. I mean, I'm sure you know already about that. It's like people with cancer, people which are women, which cannot conceive, for example, or so many other issues, you know, like people which they suffered a lot and now it's like they cannot open anymore to love, you know, and they are just depressed or so on. So all these, many, many of these lower states, they disappear when you engage in deep processes like that, because you cannot put under the carpet these things, they exist. It's not a matter of forgetting them, but it's a matter of working intelligent with them and being on your side, not destroying yourself anymore now again so we have this built in and it's our duty to create the positive ones wonderful so along those lines um i had taken some courses in neurolinguistic programming which is this idea that we can rewire the brain and you do talk about the fact that this idea that we can rewire our brain for 
greater potentials, more positivity and things like that. It's becoming very popular, no matter which, you know, I did neuro-linguistic programming, but there's many different techniques out there to try to help people to do that. So do you believe that this, this thought that we want to rewire the brain for better outcomes, is that valid? And, and what do you think about that? It is valid. It is valid. You remember that movie, What the Bleep? Uh, we talked about two things, quantum physics, creativity, and we also talked about neuroplasticity, this idea that we can rewire the brain. However, you know, one thing uh, people are missing, both the NLP people, also the um, uh, researchers who are more materially oriented, brain scientists, they both miss one uh, very important fact, which is that the physiology of the body as it is given to us for most people can be very negative. Um, for example, the way that the uh, digestive organs are, if they are more survivally oriented, then uh, fear and violence, they will dominate us. Because I want to survive, not you, so I'll be violent uh, on you if necessary for my survival. And similarly, if you are stronger, then I'll have fear from you because you will do the same thing, I know it, so I'll run. So, and then even the heart uh, has a system called the thymus gland, which is part of the immune system. And its job is to distinguish between me and not me. So at the lowest level uh, denominator, we go for me and you are not me. And therefore I, my immune system will defend against you. That's our defensiveness. So uh, this is what gives us the negative emotional brain circuits. How do we fight it? What we discovered, Valentina and I, and this is really a great discovery. The, what we discovered is that this physiology can change we can change it. It requires a quantum leap, it requires creativity, but when fear is changed into courage, then we develop the capacity of suspending the immune system, suspending that defensiveness. Okay, what am I defending against? I want to love you instead. So that suspension of immune system, that vulnerability that I acquire, Surrender to, because I now defenseless if I suspend my immune system and I'm vulnerable. So I surrender to the vulnerability. What happens, the heart becomes quantum. Heart starts experiencing this archetype of love, which is of course very coveted. Uh, women know about it much more because they're much more open in the heart than men. And from very primitive times, we have always known that we have this capacity of taking a quantum leap and discover the heart and love. And love is the greatest positive emotion, love and goodness, that's what we start with. And that's the beginning of the process that Valentino was talking about. But and as a start, oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. So I was saying to not forget about um, this, that when we want to rewire the brain, you know, so after, I mean, I'm usually asking the people to use a journal where 
mm -hmm. I'm describing how to do that. You know, journal is essential to see where you are, you know, not um, criticizing yourself, but see where you are and then apply what is called mental hygiene. No, so uh, the, the concept of mental hygiene is part of the deep ecology and completes any moral or ethical basis, right? So as the body state of health and harmony is based among others on a preventive attitude that implies maintaining a good hygiene, you take a shower, you don't take it just once, right? So the same has to be done at the psychomental level, right? And it needs a certain training because we lack all of us that training of attention. And it would be so wonderful if people would get trained in attention in, 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 about attentions from very early ages, you know? But what to do in these times when it's so much information processing, so that's truly one of the blockages. You know, we, spoke, we speak a bit about the blockages also, you know, the inner blockages, but yeah. also the outer ones, you know? And this is one of well, which the society is bringing, but it doesn't mean we have to blame the society and not do anything. We can still train and it's necessary to train attention. The, the more you want to be happy and healthy and activate any kind of potential, we need to also train attention. And as I said, mental hygiene, which is not so difficult to be done when we want to do it. So coming back to rewiring, but when our heart opens, then the next, job is to open what we call the brow chakra, this third eye sometimes it's called. When we open that, then not only we can invite the archetype of love and goodness, but we can also invite justice, fairness, truth, beauty, goodness, and um, uh, in an ethical way, mental way, and most important for healing, wholeness. And these archetypes also lead to rewiring of the brain and now rewiring based on what we call fundamental creativity, changing the physiology of the brain itself. And it, 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 life becomes so beautiful. I mean, we both have partially done that, not completely by any means. And truly, I mean, we were talking about Alzheimer in the beginning. When you do that, when you change the physiology of the brain by waking the brow chakra, you will never have to worry about Alzheimer's disease or any kind of dementia because you have unleashed brain's power of rewiring in an unprecedented way that did not exist before. And negative emotions cannot bother you anymore because positive emotions will balance it and more. You did speak about that, um, that this idea that as a whole, the society's brow chakra is a bit blocked at this time and that this can be causing different kinds of challenges. So how can we um, more consciously open that and balance that to create greater peace in our lives? Actually, the, the beginning thing is actually what uh, Valentin already has mentioned. Our brain is filled with all kinds of negative stuff, full of garbage, not only information, but also negativity. This is why we need mental hygiene. Right. So, the mental hygiene that, that um, Valentin was talking about is extremely important. And then the next step is uh, forgiveness and, uh, of course, uh, gratitude, developing gratitude. Uh, 
Valentin, why don't you talk a little more about forgiveness? Forgiveness does wonderful in terms of cleaning up the brain. Yeah, it's true. Um, but the idea again is, first of all, to see what is there and to see that, uh, speaking of forgiveness, initially, yes, it's something that you do, but then it becomes something that you are. It's very interesting, you know, because the more we have things that we did not forgive, especially things related with ourselves, which are many times the most difficult to do, interesting enough, you know, and especially as women, I have to raise over and over exclamation signs, you know, because women, we don't have that uh, healthy, usually we don't have this healthy, self-love and self-respect you know because we are kind of i don't know built maybe to just honor the others and love the others and we, we really have that this circuit in, in bed, embedded in ourselves but we need also to get also these things you know like self-love and self-respect which refer to to the how to say like to the belly area you know to the mm. abdominal brain actually and uh, without learning that, we cannot truly engage in uh, healthy relations and we cannot express our gifts. That's why I'm working really a lot with forgiveness in the last many years on myself, first of all, and on others with amazing results. And um, it's, I mean, in the beginning, again, it can be something very painful to approach. And when you do it with the guidance, with the proper guidance, and especially in a group with people which have an honest and pure intent, to work through, you know, it's amazing. Like you're just stepping in some space of um, divine gratitude, which eventually manifests. So afterwards when, I mean, it's, it's not that uh, it will be done just like that, you know, nothing, right. it's a quick fix. There is no quick fix. Okay, so whoever sells the quick fix, that's not what we call quantum leap. You know, for the quantum leap, you need to prepare. So that preparedness is mandatory, you know, and it can be done in so many ways. It takes, of course, first of all, the understanding and uh, the being perseverant you know and having a, an inspiration constantly and intention to transform yourself to know that truly you are much better than that you know so you're not that small person which is in that uh, corner of the room thinking over and over of that problem you know because again for example when somebody's hurting you you're hurting yourself 10 times more and then of course you have the problem with yourself first of all you know so it's a lot to talk about that but again the the healing is amazing so all that remains after one goes through a serious process of forgiveness when it's the case when it's a even a karmic problem you know you can say so when you have when thinking of a problem you you go immediately in a state of contraction and pain obviously there's a karmic problem there you know which hides also a special power for you you know and uh, many many gifts that you have for the world you know and for yourself will just shine when you're when you're going through this phase sometimes it's like a small death you know for for a being you know going through such process you know but what you find in the end it's overwhelmingly it's a simple divine grace, love and gratitude, nothing else, you know? And you free, you're free, you're doing this for yourself, you're not doing this for the other person. Even if you think the other person doesn't deserve, so what, you deserve it, you know? And eventually we change the perspective, we change the way of thinking, we are not the judges of the world, we are not the ones who are, who are perfect and only the others are wrong, you know? And also many times, for example, when somebody's hurting you, it doesn't, if she doesn't even know why, I mean, that he's hurting you. Many times it's just an old wound, which was there 
and it's there for a reason. You know, it's a reason for you to transform and grow through that. You use that. It's like a like a spiritual Tai Chi, if you want. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you're both saying um, because I'm a I work with clients as well, and definitely the forgiveness piece is so huge. Um, like you said, it's a journey. Maybe you just get a little better today and then tomorrow it's a little bit better. But as you kind of shift that consciousness and bring more neutrality to the things that were causing pain, then it just totally transforms you. The other thing you said that I also have to concur, I talk a lot about it in some of my books is the fact of journaling to bring that material that's stuck in the mind and the, and really down in the cells and just bring that up out into a physical place where you can start to look at it and digest it. And then that also, I, I agree, totally helps you kind of come to terms with things and move past them so that you can create more peace. So that's, yes, I hear you. Yes, I agree. And let me ask you that. I wanted to ask, um, speaking of the movie, What the Bleep, because several years ago, I wrote a book um, called Beyond Reality, Evidence of Parallel Universes. And it was about it kind of came about by accident where I was taking clients, my hypnosis clients, into places where they could report on um, either the fact that they were simultaneously living in parallel worlds and or they would go back to those places like what you've discussed, like in the past where maybe something painful happened, where they could make new choices or experience things differently. And it seems like when the movie What the Bleep came out you know we were all in this really excited space of a lot of discussion about quantum physics in terms of you know how much of our reality are we creating through our thoughts um, are things predestined or do we have choices and so we were really in this discussion of talking about we can create tomorrow through our positive choices and our new decisions on how we want to proceed as humanity and it seems like in the last few years though there hasn't been as much discussion about like parallel worlds and things like that. And I was just wondering, since I've got you here and this is such a thrill to meet you, I'm so excited. I was wondering if you could just talk about like, what are the current thoughts of quantum physics now that that book was really, that book and that film and that phenomenon was really in the earlier 2000s. So now that we're in 2021 and beyond, what are physicists saying now about the quantum world and like quantum objects and things and how our consciousness is affecting how we perceive reality and this, this enlightened state of loving each other and oneness that you all are both talking about in the book. And I was just wondering, I mean, I know that's a lot, but <laughs> if you could speak to your thoughts on where we're headed now after so many years of thinking of these very cerebral topics. The question of parallel worlds have been, has been settled some time ago. Uh, that is not a good construction if you think of parallel worlds as manifest world, because if that were the case, then we lose choice once again. No, I would better keep choice. And that is the case. Parallel worlds, that theory has been the dust. So that is all good. So we have the choice. Parallel worlds exist in our unconscious. In this domain of potentiality, that's what the parallel worlds are. Parallel worlds are, do we choose negativity and we stay negative and become sick? or do we choose positivity and choose love and create family and big network which are connected. Ancient times, 7,000 years ago, even 2,000 years ago, we were fairly connected. 
This is why spirituality was talked about. Over the years, partly because of religion and in the last 400 years, because of materialist ideas that science has brought about, we have lost that connectivity. What doesn't help is the domination of rationality. Rationality is logical. So if we can find some answers to our questions with rationality. That gives us the megalomania that everything can be answered through rationality. So what we have done, men especially, they have cut off emotions completely. Emotions don't exist. And they also have cut off intuitions. Intuitions, values don't exist. Now you are an American, so you know how it is without values. America has been without values since the 1980s. And look at America now. And look at America, how America was in the 60s and 70s. So any American of your age, my age certainly knows from their heart. And it really pains me, pains you, to see the deterioration of civilization. We cannot live without value. We cannot live without positive emotions. We cannot live without the heart. The situation is so bad, even women are forgetting the heart. So uh, how to restore the human being is a very, very good question. This is why we write our books. Uh, Quantum Brain is the book which, whose time has come because you have shown that, look, it is not hard to regain the capacity of love. And if we do that, then we also change our physiology for greater health and greater happiness and greater intelligence. So uh, can we do this with entire humanity? You know, I am optimistic, Valentina is optimistic, and the reason is simple. When we started our University of Transformation, we didn't know if people will come given the fact that there are so many so-called institutions of higher education who teach completely different philosophy, matter is everything. But people are coming. And then uh, the estimate now is that 15% of people want to transform. They want to transform in one way or another not in the details. It is very hard to uh, find publicity today. Internet has become extremely crowded, misinformation, you know all that. Mm. So of course, we are not that well known and therefore it will take us time. But the idea of the transformation is catching up. It is spreading. And therefore, 15% may look like a small number today, but you know, these numbers grow. So my estimate is that by 2050, we'll have 30%, and that's a doubling, and again doubling. So uh, it will very quickly become the majority of people who want to change, who want to transform. And the key of transformation is already deciphered. And the method methods have been known for 7,000 years, meditation, yoga, and we are modifying them putting quantum affix just to suggest that, look, if you put science and spirituality together, you can even improve the traditional methods. You can improve meditation, you can improve yoga, you can improve Qigong, you can improve all of these practices that uh, will uh, take you to personal growth. 
So yes, we are optimistic. We are openly optimistic, unabashedly optimistic. And we believe that humanity can change and will change. Yes, I yes go ahead. To answer your first question still, you know, so um, quantum science is having a lot to say actually about angels and extraterrestrials even, you know. We just had uh, recently some very beautiful interviews about that. But so speaking about your first part of the question, you know, and also there is in the creative process. And if you get uh, serious in the same time, relaxed about um, transformation, you know, and uh, then you apply this intent, you may get all kinds of uh, informations in the dream states, for example, you know, so we emphasize a lot about the healing uh, power of dreams, you know, and their importance even archetypal importance, you know? But uh, again, the idea is to have, um, to have some fire there in your heart, in your belly, in your spirit, you know? And then your experiences and the synchronicities which may appear is a very, very special sign of also about the first part of your question. Absolutely. And you spoke about meditation. I've I found a lot of peace on my path through meditation. So what do you, you, you tell readers in the book, what do you think the meditation is actually doing to assist the brain? A lot of stuff. Meditation, first of all, slows us down. And when the brain uh, slows down, instead of being hyperactive, which is typical brain today, uh, when that happens, not only uh, the organs function better because uh, slower is actually better for organ functioning, uh, more oxygen, etc. Uh, but also something very special happens, which is that we as conscious beings can now meditate on the negative emotion longer and longer before the negative emotion actually comes into action. In other words, negative emotion happens, we get the feelings, we get the thought, but we can hold it. We can just watch the negative thought and negative feelings without acting on it. That capacity is the beginning of emotional intelligence. Can you imagine if people meditated following this method on their negative emotions and not act on it? There will be no wife beaters anymore because you know they love the wife. It's just that they have got intoxicated and their traumas are coming out, so they are beating up the one person they love. It's such a tragedy. But if they had meditative power, they could stop themselves before they actually hit the woman. They will be angry. They will meditate on the anger and stop themselves before they start hitting. And in this way. Violence will reduce gradually, you know. America has become a very violent country. Anytime we expect that there will be some fireworks. And of course, there is every, every week you hear some mass shooting. Those kinds of things will actually overall reduce very rapidly if people started meditating in the new way. Namely, most important thing is to first slow our yourself down by regular meditation and then learn to meditate on negative emotions when there are highs. Yeah. And forgiveness, again, we have to emphasize that repeatedly because that too uh, aids this ability to hold negativity before you hit others 
before you become violent. Um, only if you have aroused that navel chakra. This is very, very important because that gives you the point of self-worth. I am worth it. I am not going to be negative. I am worth being positive. Yeah, and there's a great um, healing power in meditation, you know, because again, that quantum healing comes from the supramental level, you know. And before going to meditation, again, I'm reminding everybody that uh, the attention needs to be trained. So we have uh, concentration meditation and then awareness meditation. So first of all, truly it has to be done a consistent, consistent training of attention, right? That's why we do concentration on videos. You know, there are many methods, but then how meditation is healing. Actually, this is the most elevated form of healing, which is involuntary, you know? So you're tapping into this space of expansion. And again, it can be attained by perseverant practice of deep meditation. So. For example, start with paying attention to your breathing regularly, 10 minutes morning, 10 minutes in the evening when you go to bed. You know? And even that will help a lot you know? because it's how to say like, uh, there is something inside of us which truly is there on our side. You know? So the, more, the moment we do something uh, in an authentic way you know, and honest, something inside of us will truly collaborate to that, you see. And of course, it's very easy to meditate in nature. Nature is facilitating all these processes of meditation and healing. And again, many serious diseases can heal through meditation when you are able to tap deep inside of you. There are, you are triggering superior processes of resonance. It's called resonance with, with divine attributes, with archetypes, with universal energies. And then you give up with or without will to any idea related to no matter of what contraction or pain was there when you tap into this kind of space, you know, and you uplift above this uh, contracted state of consciousness, right? So that state of resonance has to be whenever you want to work with yourself, you know, whenever you have anything, even in the journal, you know, you have to watch what is that resonance that I'm maintaining, which is damaging me. And the moment you see that 70% of the problem can be fixed. Absolutely. I also love your optimism about the future. Um, and I share it. I feel like we obviously have a lot of challenges in this world, but we've, we are moving in the right direction. We will continue. And I, I still, like you, have a lot of hope for what's coming in the future. So I want to thank you. The, friends, this book is phenomenal. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.